Well, good morning. Man, wasn't that beautiful? I mean, that if, if there is something we could start out 2016 with, knowing him deeper is part of it. Amen? So listen, we are kicking off a new series today. The idea is simple, right? We're kicking off a series called Simple. Something that I hear more than anything in my life is I am way too busy. And so we thought for the first, uh, for, for the month of January, we would put uh, a little bit of focus on simplifying our lives. And so this morning we're kicking off that series. Uh, and we're going to talk about simplif- the simple life, right? Simplifying your life. And so we've invited uh, a friend of mine, a guy by the name of uh, Lance Witt. Lance is a longtime pastor. He's been a senior pastor. He's been an executive pastor. And he's written a book. And the book is called Replenish. And it's a book that I read uh, a, a while ago. Uh, and it really is, it's a leadership book, but it, it is beneficial to anyone who reads it uh, because it talks about the fact that we don't take enough time to replenish our soul and to find that intimacy with Jesus that we just talked about. And so we've invited Lance to come and speak. So would you mind welcoming him as he comes up and shares with us this morning? Well, thank you, Dave. That's a, a very nice introduction. But I know the real reason I was invited was because when they started Thinking about this series, they said, who is the most simple-minded guy we know? And my name popped to the top of the list. I really do wish my wife, Connie, uh, could be here. I would love for you to be able to meet her. She is my best friend and partner in ministry. We've been married 37 years. So uh, thank you. Which means we got married when we were nine. Um, we have two grown kids, and the best thing about my kids is they have produced four granddaughters. And we have four little granddaughters, three and under, so life is interesting. And it really is true that grandkids are God's reward for you not killing your kids. So for those of you who have kids at home, there is a day that's coming that's going to be awesome. But I'm excited to get to kick off this series because this morning, when we start talking about simple we know that we all live in a fast-paced, plugged-in, noise-filled, money-hungry, stressed-out world, and everywhere you go, everyone is looking for a simpler life. In fact, one of the most popular magazines these days is a magazine called Real Simple, and the tagline of their magazine is, Making Life Easier. Sounds good, doesn't it? Remember when Staples invented the easy button? Sounds great, doesn't it? Just a, when life gets complicated, stressed out, overwhelming, that you just have this easy button. But if you're like me, there are lots of days when it feels like someone stole my easy button. But here's the good news. The Bible really does offer some very practical help and advice for you and I when it comes to simplifying our lives. There really can be a better way. We don't have to resign ourselves to just living a life of exhaustion and being overwhelmed and stressed out all the time. There really is a better way. But here's how I want you to think about this message today. Is I want you to imagine that you are the owner of your own company. And that company is your life. And so in the room today, we've got Stephen Inc. and Lisa Inc. and Rachel Inc. And I'm Lance Incorporated. I'm the CEO and president of my company. And I want to ask the question, what if you ran 
the company of your life with the same intentionality that people in this community run their businesses? What if you were as focused and strategic as Google or Apple or Southwest Airlines? What would that look like? Well, I, to kind of frame up the message, I, I want to share a story with you about someone that you have probably never heard of. His name is Michael Plant. And Michael Plant um, was America's, at one time, America's most accomplished single-handed sailor. Now, that meant that he sailed without any kind of a crew, and he had logged over 100,000 miles in a sailboat. He'd been around the world three different times, won all kinds of races and trophies and awards for his skill as a sailor. Well, in 1992, he bought a high-tech, state-of-the-art sailboat named the Coyote and almost immediately entered it into another race around the world, but this race would begin in France. Well, that was great because it gave him the opportunity to test drive his new sailboat across the Atlantic. So he launches out from New York Harbor. Everything's going well. Eleven days out to sea. Some friends try to reach him by satellite phone, but they can't get a hold of him. Now, they're not concerned. This guy's a world expert. They figure he's just dealing with some weather or rigging the sails and he'll get back with them. Well, they try again a couple of hours later, no response. A few more hours later, no response. One day turns into two, and by now people are panicked. And they deploy a search and rescue team to go and try to find Michael Plant. They search that part of the Atlantic where they thought that he was. There was no sign of Plant, no sign of the coyote. They finally give up the search, just resigning themselves to believe that he's been lost at sea. Well, 32 days after he launches out of New York Harbor, a Greek tanker just happens upon the coyote. It's upside down in the Atlantic. There's no sign of plant. The 85-foot mast is still intact. Most of the sails are still rigged. The rudder is operational. There's no puncture in the hull. And it wasn't until they got to the keel that they discovered what had happened. Because you see, in the keel was supposed to be 8,400 pounds of ballast, but the ballast was gone. It had somehow separated from the boat and was now laying somewhere on the floor of the Atlantic. But you see, it didn't matter how skilled or experienced Plant was, without any ballast, he had no hope of survival. Because sailing is built on this fundamental principle. There has to be more weight underneath the waterline than above it. So when the storms come and the wind blows, no matter what, the ship will always right itself if it has ballast. You see, that story becomes a great illustration for what it looks like to live a simple life. It begins with paying attention to our lives beneath the waterline. When we talk about a simple life, where we quickly go is to our external world, right? We think about, well, I need to clean out my garage. I need to simplify my schedule. I need to slow down the pace of my life. But living a simple life is way beyond just rearranging the externals of your life. It begins with paying attention to who you are on the inside. Solomon gave us a hint about this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Now notice his first three words. He says, above all else. It's like he's raising the flag saying, hey, get this. Nothing in your life is more important. Above all else, he says, guard your heart. Not clean out your garage. Not simplify your calendar. 
He says, guard your heart. And then notice what he says at the end. Everything else in life flows out of that. You see, the Christian life is inside out. Jesus taught this over and over, that really we pay attention to our heart, and what's in our heart then determines our behavior, that our beliefs determine our behavior, our character determines our conduct, that life goes from the root to the fruit, inside to outside. Let me give you a word picture that may help you grab a hold of this. Every single person in this room lives life on two stages. You have a backstage and you have a front stage. And so you think about this stage. The front stage I, I call the public world of life. Uh, the, the front stage is where the spotlight is on us. It's where people see us. It's where we're noticed. It's where we do what we do with our skill and, and expertise. And for many of us, what we do on the front stage of our life is where we find our sense of identity. But you also have a backstage. And the backstage is your private world. It's the who you are that nobody sees. It's the being side of your life. Now, I've never been really backstage here, but I can tell you what's true of all backstages. They're dark. They're messy. People aren't allowed there. There's no spotlight there. And there's no glory there. But the backstage is just as important. In fact, in some ways, more important than the front stage. When John Wesley... Um, started what we would call small groups. He called them bands. Um, they would get together in people's home, much like a small group would in our church, and every week they began their small group session with the, the same question. And here was the question they asked each other. How is it with your soul? And I remember reading that question for the first time thinking I would have no idea how to answer that. Like that's foreign to me. I'm all about doing and achieving and accomplishing and succeeding and being productive. To pay attention to what's going on inside of me, I don't get that. You see, we're really comfortable with front stage conversations. We can talk about our careers and politics and the playoffs today and the upcoming election and schools and raising our kids. All the doing external part of our lives we talk about really easily, but to talk about what's going on inside of us... Not so much. But can I just remind you today that the real you, the eternal you, is something that the Bible calls your soul. That's the real you. You could walk out of here today, get in your car, get on the freeway, be in an accident, and they rush you to the hospital and have to amputate your arm. It doesn't change who you are because fundamentally your body is, you're not defined by your body or defined by a body part. Well, I can even tell you, you can lose your hair, and it doesn't fundamentally change who you are at the soul level. But think about how much time you spend on your body, which, by the way, the Bible says is basically just a container for your soul. But you get up, and you wash it, you shampoo it, you brush your teeth, you manicure it, wax it, paint it, comb it, exercise it, all for a body that's really very temporal. Doesn't it make sense that you would pay attention to that part of your life that is the real you, the soul? In fact, your soul, this interior part of you, is like an operating system on your computer. And by the way, it is the key to a simple life. And just like on your computer, you can't see the operating system. It runs in the background. What you see are the software and the programs, but critical to everything that you see running well 
is the operating system running well. And when the operating system breaks down, everything else begins to break down. And the same is true with your life. So I want to spend a few minutes getting really practical. So I want to give you three pillars upon which a simple life is built. So here's number one. you got to take personal responsibility. Dallas Willard, who's written a lot on the soul, says, Our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of life. He goes on to talk about the fact that you didn't create the stream. God, when you were born, gave you a soul that is now eternal. But here's what he says. You are the keeper of the stream of your soul. You're responsible. And a simple life means taking responsibility, listen to this, to align your external world and all the doing side of your life with your internal values and priorities. For some of us, the reason we can't seem to find a simple life and why we're always overwhelmed is because we just keep trying to rearrange things in our external world. But here's the point. If you're going to have a simple life, you got to own living a simple life. Let me take you to a passage um, Deuteronomy chapter 30. So let me just tell you kind of what's happening in Deuteronomy 30. The Lord says to the nation of Israel, if you will return to me, I want to give you this amazing, blessed, abundant life. He says, if you'll come back to me, I'll increase your number. I'll give you bumper crops. I'll protect you from your enemies. Uh, He says, I'll delight in you and you'll delight in me. We'll have a great relationship. And God with a very open hand offers This amazing life, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the circumstances you're in, the state of your health, how much money you make, or where you live. He says, I'm offering this to you. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. In verse 11, the Lord says, Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, and it's not out of your reach. And he goes on to say, it's not like it's up in the heavens and someone has to go get it or across the ocean and someone needs to get in a boat and go retrieve it. In verse 14, he says, no, it's very near you. It's in your mouth and your heart so that you may obey it. God says, I have this abundant, rich life available and accessible to you no matter what your circumstances. You know what that says to me, to you, to all of us in our culture? I am not a victim. Yes, I'm influenced by my past, but I'm not held hostage to my past or to my circumstances. Paul says it like this, that when I came to Christ and the gospel transformed me, the chains of sin were forever broken in my life. Second Peter says, everything I need for life and godliness, God has already given to me. I am not a victim, but often I have played the part of a victim. There's a season of my life when I was a pastor at this church in California. It's a large church, very fast-paced, a lot of stress. It was kind of a crazy-making season. And I, I sometimes say about that season of my life, it was both intoxicating and toxic all at the same time. And where life got really complicated and complex was not just at the office and at my work and ministry, but it was also at home. And sometimes things would get unhealthy enough that my wife would have had all she could take and we would have one of those come to Jesus meetings. You ever had one of those? By the way, she was Jesus in that conversation. (laughs) And our conversation would go something like this. Like, you're just never here. You work all the time. 
I don't get the time I need with you. The kids don't get the time they need with you. And even when you're here, you're not really here. And, and it would be at that moment I would pull out my victim card and, and it would say, well, you know, I, I can't help it. I, I'm a pastor. It's what I do. I have to be there. Um, and then I would say, it's just for a season. Like if I can just get that next person hired and we get through this project or Easter, it's going to get better. And I remember in one of our moments where she just stopped me in mid-sentence and just said, just stop it. It never changes. And then she said... There's always a reason or a season why you can't be who you're supposed to be. And she was right. I was who I was. You are who you are because of decisions that I was making. You see, one of the best days of my life was the day that I began to own the health of my own soul and the simplicity of my own life. I am the keeper of the stream of my soul, and so are you. So here's a principle I want you to get that's crucial to this. Self-care is not selfish, it's good stewardship. For you to manage the company of your life well is a great thing. You see, the main thing that you have to give your family, to give others, to give yourself and this church is a healthy you. But i got to own it. My spouse can't do it for me. The pastor can't do it for me. My boss can't do it for me. In that same passage in Deuteronomy 30, if you were to skip down to verse 19, he would say, I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you, and I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And then here it comes, these three words. Now choose life. It's a choice. So you want a simpler life? you got to own it. Don't be the victim. Take responsibility. God says, I've offered this amazing life to you. It's yours for the taking. Then here's the second pillar. You've got to pay attention to your emotional health. There's this great verse in 2 Corinthians 7 that says, Therefore, since we have these promises, friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Not everything that is toxic for you is just about your body. It's also about your emotions and about your soul. And some of the greatest complexity in our lives has to do with emotional dysfunction. We're not healthy internally. And it affects our joy, it affects our relationships, it affects our work, it affects how we feel about ourselves. And before some of us can really move toward a simpler life, we've got to begin to pay attention to what's going on inside of us at the place of our emotions and soul. And we've got to do some accurate diagnosis about some things that might be broken inside of us. You know, if you were to leave today and, you know, you're not feeling well and you decide you're not feeling well so much that you decide to go to the urgent care clinic and you walk in, hand them your insurance card, you fill out the paperwork They take you back to the examination room, and in a few minutes, the doctor walks in. But when she walks in, she pulls out this prescription pad and begins to write you a prescription. And you go, whoa, 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 doc. You you don't even know what's wrong with me yet. You haven't diagnosed the problem. There's no way you can give me a prescription. And in order for you to live a truly simple life, you need to do a little diagnosis of your soul. Because for some of us, there are some 
broken places in us that is causing dysfunction and making us unhealthy. My friend Pete Scazzaro says, Jesus may live in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. You see, family patterns and baggage that we bring with us today continues to play itself out in our lives. And, you know, I, I grew up in a great home, very stable and more secure than most. But here was the script I learned from my, from my family. Work hard, do good, be responsible, and then you'll be loved. And I transferred that same script to my relationship with God. Work hard, do good, be responsible, and then maybe God will love you. And when that's the script that you operate from, you put all of your focus on external behavior because acceptance and significance is found in what you do and what you accomplish and how successful you are. And you're only as good as your last achievement. And that leads to a complex life, not a simple one, because you're constantly running around striving to succeed because that's the only place that you feel significant. And for you, that may not be your script. That's not your issue. But I promise you, you have a script and you have some baggage. There are two kinds of poisons, I think, that we have to deal with. Some are external and environmental. They're just things that are part of our culture. Technology and constantly being plugged in and fast-paced living and a world that is now 24-7 busy. We have to learn to manage those things if we're going to have a simple life, right? But more insidious are the internal things. The things that are inside of us, the shadow side, the broken places in us. And it takes courage to confront that shadow side. But it's crucial if I'm going to live a simple life. And a lot of people don't live simple lives because they're always trying to be who everybody else thinks they should be. And that's exhausting. You see, again, most of your life is not above the waterline. It's not the tip of the iceberg. It's the big part of the iceberg that's underneath the waterline of your soul and your emotions. And it plays itself out in things like image management, out-of-control ego, anger, control issues, addictive behavior, shame, approval addiction, drivenness. Again, just kind of in my wiring and in my family background, I've always been driven and tended toward workaholism. And I always tried to manage my workaholic tendencies by tweaking my schedule and thinking, if I could just work smarter, I could get everything done and also live out my priorities. Until one day it was like the Holy Spirit took the spotlight off of my calendar and put it on my soul and began to ask the question, so Lance, why are you so driven? What's behind that? Why do you always have to be compulsively busy? Why can you not say no? Why can you not sit still and be quiet. What's that about? And that began for me a journey of dealing with some of the stuff that's broken inside of me. I think at some level, all of us are insecure. And it's probably a a struggle we will deal with all of our lives, but we can get healthier. I remember a few months ago, I was preaching in Houston. The pastor uh, had asked me to come and speak. They were doing a series on prayer, and so I came and did my message on prayer, and uh, they had multiple services just like you guys do, and they had a little green room off, the, off of the auditorium where the pastor could go between services. 
So I walked back there, and I grabbed a cup of coffee, and I picked up my phone, and on the home screen of my iPhone was this text message from somebody who wasn't in my contacts because it was just a phone number. But here was the first line of his text message to me, and this was within two minutes of me finishing my sermon. His opening line was, weak and predictable. And I want to tell you, in that moment, every insecurity in me rose to the surface. And so I opened the screen to see what else he had to say. Probably shouldn't have done that. But um, when I opened my home screen, I realized what had happened. I had asked people during the sermon to write down the one or two words that characterize their prayer life. <laughs> so this guy says, weak and predictable. Hey, great message today. And I'm thinking, could you have started with that? <laughs> and it just revealed to me that there is this insecurity that I think resides in all of us. But I promise you this, a part of your journey toward a simple life is getting healthy emotionally. And for some of you, you might need to let the Holy Spirit start probing around on some of the broken places in you. You might need to go get some counseling and begin to get healthy emotionally so that you stop trying to be who everybody else thinks you should be and you can be who God wants you to be. All right, so you got to own it. you got to take responsibility. You're not a victim. Secondly, you got to pay attention to the emotional health of your life. And then here's the last thing, the last pillar I want to talk about. you got to create space in your life. The truth is we live in a fast-paced world and a world that's constantly busy where adrenaline is our hormone of choice. And I confess to you, I'm a hurrier. I, I wish I had a dollar for every time my kids would have heard me say when they were growing up, can you please hurry up? Or how many times I've been walking with my wife and I look back and she's like three steps behind me. And she goes, are you going to walk with me or in front of me? And in, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if you'll hurry up, I'll walk with you. I, I don't really say that, though, out loud. I, I can't tell you how many times people have been telling me a story and inside I'm thinking, like, is this going anywhere? Is this story having an ending? Could you hurry up? I'm, I've been thinking about starting a support group for compulsive hurriers. Would some of you join? Yeah. Here's the good news. Our meetings will not take long because we got stuff to do, right? But here's a lesson I am painfully and slowly beginning to learn. The quality of your life has everything to do with the space in your life. God did not make you to live life with the accelerator all the way to the floor all the time. God built the universe with this sense of rhythm. That you breathe in rhythm, you, your heart beats in rhythm, the ocean tides come in and out with a sense of rhythm. The farming season is built around rhythm and He made you to live in rhythm. And here's the rhythm. Work and rest. Produce and then replenish. We live in this world of rhythm and God wants you to live with that sense of rhythm also. You see, you can't live life at warp speed without warping your soul. And you can't follow Jesus at a sprint. And yet everything in our culture is about going faster and doing it more quickly. And for some of us, it's what we were taught in our families. But here's a valuable lesson that I am learning. Space 
and slow are actually friends to my spiritual health and friends to a simple life. There's this great illustration of Jesus when he has this incredibly busy day in Mark chapter 1. So so think about your most stressed out day. Here's his day. Jesus gets up that morning and he's the guest preacher at the synagogue. And that carries with it its own stress, right? And then while he's preaching, he gets confronted by demon-possessed people. Now, that feels fairly intense. That doesn't happen to me usually when I preach, um, and hopefully not this morning. But um, then the Bible says he goes over to Peter's house after church that day. He has lunch. Peter's mother-in-law is sick, so he heals her. And then in just almost in passing, the Bible says, oh, before Jesus went to bed that night, they brought everybody in town who was sick and demon-possessed to his door. And so before he goes to bed, he heals more people and he casts out more demons. And then the Bible says in the very next verse, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left. And if I stop right there, I think, well, of course he does. He's only got three years of public ministry. He's got to launch this worldwide movement called Christianity. He's got a lot to do, a lot of sermons to preach, a lot of people to heal. But the Bible says when he got up and left that morning, he went to go be in a solitary place. To just be alone with his father create space in his life and when the disciples come and find him they say hey come back to the village there's a lot more ministry to do and Jesus says yeah we're not going back to that village we're going on to another place to do ministry and what's implicitly clear in the passage is this that Jesus got his next set of instructions in that quiet place and I sometimes wonder if the reason I have a hard time discerning the voice of God in my life is because there is no space. You see, one of the things that every healthy person who lives a simple life has to embrace is you have limits, and those limits are a gift from God. Now, here's the good news. God gave you this wonderful strategy to help you live a life that's simpler and has rhythm in it, and it's a strategy called Sabbath. It's hardwired into the Ten Commandments that the Bible says God modeled it for us when He created for six days and on the seventh day He what? Was it because He was exhausted? No. It was because He was modeling for us this rhythm of work, create, produce, and then stop and rest and replenish. God wants that same thing for you. I wish I had time to really unpack what Sabbath looks like, how it's become such a critical part of my life and my rhythm that God gives me permission to just stop and to slow down, and He gives the same. It's a gift, the gift of space. So for some of you, the most important application of today might be that you have a conversation with your spouse when you get home about what would it look like? For us to really slow down. What would it look like for us to create some space? We're living at a, in a way that's not sustainable and it's exhausting. What would it take? There's, there's two photos I want to kind of finish with. So look at this first one. That's how we live, isn't it? On the jet ski, going 50 miles an hour across the lake. Wind in our face. And it's exhilarating, right? And there's nothing wrong with it. You can cover a lot of ground, and it's a lot of fun to ride a jet ski. But there's also more, and it's this photo, scuba diving. 
Now, when you scuba dive, you go slower, and you don't cover as much ground, but, man, it opens up a whole world that you never see when you're just skimming across the surface. And for some of us, we live our life on a jet ski. And God said, you want to be simple? You want to have a less exhausting, richer life? There's a lot beneath the surface, but you won't get there unless you're willing to slow down a bit and go beneath the surface. So I want to close today with a question. It's a question I've been learning to ask myself. It's a, it's a beneath-the-waterline kind of question, and it, it forces you to go inward. And here's the question I want you to ponder right now. How is God coming to me right now? I want you to sit with that for a moment. How is God coming to you right now? What is He saying about the way that you're living? Is there some piece of today that you need to take and now actually integrate into your life? How is He prompting you right now? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for the chance to just be here today. We thank You for this wonderful congregation. And Lord, the truth is, it's hard in our world to live simple lives. But thank You that You have given us instruction and practical advice on how we can do that. So Lord, I pray that we would be quiet enough, long enough, to really hear what you want to say to us right now. May we listen, really listen, and then respond in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but those lyrics to that song ring very true on a very regular basis for me. Lord, I need you. Will you thank uh, Lance for being here with us this morning? I want to invite you back next week. Come join us, hear a little bit about what it's like to be a simple church. It's not about being simple-minded, okay? Just get that out of the way. Uh, and then uh, following that, the idea of a simple truth. So let's pray together as we leave. Father, as your church leaves this building today, we pray for your strength and your courage to fill us, that we could ask these difficult questions, that we would ask, how really is it with my soul? And we would evaluate, how is it that we are receiving you on a daily basis? Give us the strength and the courage to push out those things that are distraction, to allow ourselves the space to experience you. God, my prayer is that we leave this place replenished for having been in your presence and in the presence of each other this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. There are folks down here that would love to pray with you. If that's something that you would like to have this morning, come on down. We'll pray together.